1: When Raw ends, when it's time to begin, it's on the Rewinder Raw with John Pollock and Waiting the 18 that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's Rewinder Raw for Monday night, a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's Rewinder Raw for Monday night on USA now on the John and Waiting the mic. Hello, everybody, welcome to Rewinder Raw. I'm John Pollock alongside. Wei Tang, is that correct?
0: Yes, that is my name. Welcome. How are you? Doing well. Doing pretty good.
1: I've got this fly in my room, and it's driving me insane. Hmm. Oh, you want to take care of it? Well, I might. Okay. I'm I'm ready for this. So there might be a live murder. Oh, live stream, perhaps of a this fly is just killing. Uh, just driving me insane for the last 15 minutes, and it's just, uh, I can't focus. You should
0: probably take care of it before we get going here.
1: Well, when you when it comes to killing a flyway, you don't just snap your fingers and it, it dies. It's, you uh, do have
0: to focus on it. You know, it's something that demands uh, some effort.
1: Well, I'm not going to be doing that now. Uh, how are you otherwise?
0: Great. Fucking awesome. All right. What's coming up this week? What are you excited about? Hmm. Lots of stuff, you know. The return of Rwanda Dynamite on a Wednesday. That's a big event. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and then, you know what? That's all the free shit you guys get, because the rest of the week takes place on Patreon, starting tomorrow. Rwanda way. Our first look at a feud. A singular feud. We're not talking about uh, just a, a, a show. We're talking about a feud. So that means we'll be jumping from episode to episode to talk about the Shawn Michaels Chris Jericho feud of two thousand and eight. Uh with a playlist very nicely compiled by Jake Simpson. It's only maybe about like two and a half hours long and contains all their great talking segments as well as some of the matches that we have to watch.
1: Yeah, we I'm have several segments, I think four matches in total, uh that I guess we will be watching on Tuesday morning. So you have quite the uh quite the watch ahead of you. A lot of Chris oh, Jericho yeah. and Shawn Michaels coming, coming your way. I'm looking forward to this. It's a different format. Uh, we'll go very deep into the feud of uh, 2008 that's uh, pretty highly regarded uh, by both individuals and the fan base at large. This was voted the feud of the year uh, in the Observer Awards that year. So we will be tackling that feud and discussing WWE of 2008. Mm. And then on Thursday, it's the return of MCU
0: later. We're already halfway past... This season, John, with Loki, episode four, it'll be me and WH. And as uh, people who have listened to MCU later in the past know, uh, throughout the season, as we get to the later stages, we like to start welcoming guests. And this week, WH and I will be joined by Rich Fan. Oh, okay, He's apparently a big fan of MCU later, so uh, he's somebody, of course, uh, who we all love and. Uh, for his wrestling takes, but this will be my first chance to get to talk to him about uh the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I look forward to that very much. Also on the Post Wrestling Cafe, and then Friday. Rewind us SmackDown, forget Rewind a Dinah Down, like done with that, you know. It's just two hours SmackDown, then we go live. The rest of the time, our full attention on you guys.
1: Yes, so that is uh our schedule back to back to normal this weekend, and then it's. 4th of July weekend, so it's a a little quiet uh, for all of those celebrating, but we will have a long and winding Royal Road on Sunday, the 4th of July with WH Park. What better way to celebrate the independence of America
0: than a podcast about 1990s All Japan Pro Wrestling?
1: Well, it will be uh, Mitsuharu Misawa and Yoshinari Ogawa versus Kenta Kobashi and Junakiyama from October 23rd, 1999, Uh, that you can go watch up on and then hear WH Park and Mark Buckeldy dissect the match in detail uh, this coming Sunday. And on that note, uh, we have a new edition of Post Pro Res up on the site that WH and I did, uh, discussing everything from tassels to fruit markets to Shingo Takagi, Keiji Muto, Fire. It's all up there on the June edition of Post Pro Res that everyone can go download now so a lot of great stuff up at postwrestling.com and just taking a peek into the coming weeks a lot of big stuff coming up and uh, we are coming up on the first of the month so maybe on uh, on wednesday we will give everyone a preview of the uh cafe content for the month of july mm, absolutely and on that note
0: i wanted to thank everybody uh, all of our patrons who have sent us their responses to the survey that i've sent out just uh, asking you a number of questions about your listening habits really who you are um, and, uh, I really appreciate everybody who's taken the time to respond because a lot of you have, so thank you all for that.
1: Yeah. The feedback, I was going to say, Thursday. it's been enormous, uh, how much feedback we we've gotten to that invaluable information. So thank you to everyone that has participated.
0: Yep. I'll be taking them until Thursday and I'll be reading every single one and probably, you know, doing a bit of a write-up sometime next month, just with some of the, uh, results.
1: All right, let's get into some news and notes uh, to start us off with. Uh, Samoa Joe was interviewed by Ryan Satin and spoke a bit about his release back in April and noting the fact that he got a call within hours from Paul Levesque Especially, uh, basically getting the ball rolling for what this role would become in NXT, and he gave a bit more detail of what he's back doing at NXT. It's not just the on-screen role, but he's also now getting involved in the talent scouting uh, department, working with Canyon Seaman and other duties behind the scenes, so he outlined this as a bit of a transition as well, um, another aspect of the company that he's working in, and I think like that was something you could have speculated upon that what made NXT so attractive to him. It's more than just a singular on-screen role. Like it does seem like this is as much a move for Joe looking long-term of what his future is going to be like in the company. And then I guess the big headline from this was him being asked if he is working towards an in-ring return. And he said, absolutely. And just left it at that did not go into any other further detail, but if people are looking at the prospect of Joe being able to wrestle again and, you know, there was certainly I think there would have been no shortage of demand. But I think he's looking at a much longer term vision and doing so in WWE in in this role of, you know, whether this is something that he has a desire to do. It, it seems like he does.
0: Yeah, I mean, who knows what the future, you know, may be for someone with Joe. Obviously, if, you know, an in-ring return is not Uh, in the cards in the recent in the near future then you know you can't really do much better than ask for some sort of backstage role as an executive in the WWE so you know I imagine this is a good move for him for that reason and I think for the WWE they likely don't want Samoa Joe out there in the wild where he would be a huge huge prospect for any company that you know, on the level of like an AEW or or otherwise, you
1: know. I like mean, Joe. they did cut him. They did cut
0: him, so it was like I don't know if well, they. Let me correct myself. Then maybe if you are Triple H, you understand that. Whereas uh, maybe other people in the company don't. So um, I think this is as much of a move for that reason as well.
1: It, isn't that kind of bizarre, though? Like, oh, of the left hand left and the hand right hand having what... totally yeah. different uh, outlooks on a talent. Totally, yeah. It's it's ridiculous. It it seems like. There, there's a very big disconnect there. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, it seems like he is very optimistic about being able to wrestle again. But you have to look. He's 42. He is now, he, he's had these concussions and such. It's like, he's probably not looking at years of wrestling. This is probably, you know, as I'm on the, you know, latter stages of my in-ring career, what comes after after in ring, and this is probably you know makes this an attractive offer as opposed to attacking the independents, going to other places where it's an in ring role. I think he's probably taking much more of a 360 degree view of what can my contributions be in the industry. After someone that has gone through these these health issues, of that really does put your not your mortality, but at least your your physical well being into your mindset that, you know, my body is not going to always be there for me. And I want to still be part of this industry. So it seems like this was an attractive one. And the fact he got this call the day of seemed like he really was not in any eager uh, state to move on either.
0: Well, no matter what the future or or what the status of, I, I guess, his health is, I mean, they're certainly not shy about teasing The possibility of him having matchups with people in nxt and you look at that roster and it's just um you know everybody would be a relatively fresh matchup for samoa joe so mm, you know here's hoping that all that works out
1: yeah they've definitely laid out quite a bit there um from Brandon Thurston, he reported that SmackDown on Friday did 1,971,000 viewers and a 0.54 in the demo, which when you break that down was actually their best demo figure since the throwback edition of SmackDown all the way back on May the 7th. Uh, in Canada, uh, SmackDown did just over 115,000 viewers and fi- uh, just under 51,000 in the 25-54 to 54 demo. This was going against Game 7 of the Lightning and Islanders series. And then Saturday Night Dynamite in Canada. We don't have a U.S. number, but in Canada they did 49,000 viewers, uh, which was up from the prior week, but still well below what Dynamite had been doing on those Friday night episodes prior to last week. And in Canada, at least, I think like this next two weeks could be very, very tough because the way the Stanley Cup Final schedule has rolled out, there all the games are happening on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. If this goes six games, those are the nights of the week it falls on. The only one they would avoid is if it goes to a seventh game. So that might play a bit of a factor in the U.S., but in Canada, it certainly will with a Canadian team in there especially.
0: I mean, we love our hockey, man.
1: Did you have both screens up tonight? I did not, no. No. Did you? Well, uh, no, I did not. I I, I would have actually th- – this is where I would have been uh, – on the bandwagon and watching if, if I didn't have raw tonight, I would be watching. I would have been watching the hockey game tonight, mm, but I can't. Okay. And I can't on Wednesday either. So, uh, later on this week, we have, well, we have NXT on Tuesday night announced so far is the number one contenders three-way with Io Shirai and Zoe Stark, Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai, Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart. Uh, that's that three-way and then Mercedes Martinez and Jake Atlas taking on Zia Lee and Boa. And those are our announcements so far because Great American Bash is next week.
0: Mm, Wow, that's coming up quick.
1: AEW on Wednesday, they're going to have Chris Jericho on commentary for the entire show. And that goes along with the previously announced matches. Miro against Brian Pillman for the TNT title. Britt Baker and Rebel against Vicky Guerrero and Nyla Rose. MJF versus Sammy Guevara and the Young Bucks against Eddie Kingston and Penta in a non-title eliminator bout. So, uh, curious to see how they do moving back to Wednesdays. Uh, but still you're, you're going into the NBA finals are coming up as well. Like this is still going to be a tough period these next couple of weeks. Um, even like the NHL playoffs, again, they're not the biggest competition in the U S but you are going into the finals where it's going to be the most attention, uh, and the NBA finals, it goes without saying. So I don't know. I'm, I'm still looking at AEW. Like, I don't think it's going to be that immediate uh, bounce back but we'll see it's it's like a pretty strong lineup for Wednesday but I I'm looking more so towards those shows that when once they go on the road again uh which will be next week and to see what impact that that has because they built up next week's show pretty big with the strap match which has to top tonight's uh three and a half minute strap match and oh. a coffin match which we uh we did not get the WWE version of tonight
0: yeah, I mean, um, I you know this will be a test to see how much of that audience comes back on a Wednesday. But I really do feel like it'll be the combination of like the Road Ranger and the Fighter Fest and the Fight for Fall, Fight for the Fallen shows that'll hopefully be you know the big attention grabbing shows that'll really pick the rest of the people that have dropped off over the past month back for AEW. So, um, you know, slowly, hopefully by that time
1: uh, they can gain what they lost through the NBA. Triple uh, A held a press conference today. So Triple Mania is happening on August the fourteenth. So that's the same night that New Japan is doing that card uh, in Los Angeles. And the updated card that they have announced so far is uh, Ray Escorpion and Psycho Clown in a mask versus hair match. Kenny Omega against Andrade for the AAA Mega Championship. Diana Perazzo and Fabi Apache. So that's a battle of your Knockouts Champion from Impact and the Reina de Reinas Champion in AAA. Chessman and Murder Clown against Puma King, and or sorry, Chessman Pagano and Murder Clown against Puma King and two mystery partners. They've also added Penta and Ray Phoenix, defending the tag titles against El Hio Del Vikingo and Laredo Kid, as well as uh, Taurus and a mystery partner as well. A Copa Bardell match, which is just a sponsored match that they have where they'll throw in all the added talent and a Marvel Lucha Libre exhibition matchway.
0: Yeah, what are the characters they're doing this time?
1: They should get Loki. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Okay. Yes. So there Great. you go. Um yeah, I think obviously when you have a Kenny Omega and Andrade match, I think that's going to add a lot more attention to this card. And Triple Mania, it does seem like yearly it is the show that your fair weather Lucha fans will tune into and have attention for. Like, I remember, I guess it was two years ago when Cain Velasquez did Triple Mania and the attention that that show received. And I, have you heard like a peep out of Cain Velasquez? No. I'm surprised no. that he has not resurfaced in anywhere. Like, yeah, just what, seems to what be, happened?
0: I mean, it was an injury, wasn't it? That took him out and then. Well,
1: then he was like, cut. He was didn't cut. Pursue, didn't pursue wrestling afterwards. I'm surprised. Like I'm surprised he hasn't revisited uh, pro wrestling. But um, you know, someone that <laughs> man two years ago there was quite a lot of buzz on him going into that that Triple Mania that year. You so, should play the Hulk in the Marvel Lucha Libre match. Paint him up green. That maybe that could be uh, his his potential uh, next next character. Coming off that solid WWE run, so. Uh, yeah, Lucha Blog noted uh, from the press conference today that the current standards in Mexico City is that they're capped at 1,500 people. They're hoping uh, that that can be raised by the time August 14th rolls around. So still a lot of time to see where things go, but that is the lineup so far. Looks like a you know, very, you know, interesting card on, on paper that I think will have its usual interest with the brand name of Mania and what you've got attached to it as well. Okay, I have an MMA story away, but I promise you, we got some drama, okay? So today, it was announced. Everyone was expecting that Francis Ngannou, the big fight everyone has wanted to see is Francis Ngannou and John Jones. And, of course, John Jones and UFC, they have been at odds over finances. And Dana White was stating, it's going to be Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis. That was the fight. He said, we're going to make it. It's going to be for the heavyweight title. Well, today... Brett Okamoto of ESPN reported it is now going to be Derek Lewis versus Cyril Ghosn, who was victorious on Saturday night. Gone in 25 minutes against Alexander Volkov. They are going to fight for the interim title on August the 7th at UFC 265. This very surprising because... Francis and Ganu just fought in March, so it's hardly been uh, a long stretch since the man has fought. But obviously, they wanted this heavyweight title fight on August the seventh, and Ganu was not ready to fight on August seventh, so they're creating an interim title with these two, and Francis and Ganu is kind of just cast aside here. So, way, it all went down tonight on Brett Okamoto's Instagram, involving. Uh, Francis Ngannou's manager, uh, agent, Markel Martin, and Dana White. So the, the initial quote from Ngannou's agent was, This comes as a complete shock. To make an interim title so soon, if you look at the history of this division, it comes as a surprise. Francis is just now returning to the States to begin training, and he just won the title three months ago. We're unsure of what the reasoning is behind this, but we hope to get clarity soon and figure out something with the UFC soon. At the end of the day, they're in control of these decisions. So Dana White, just scrolling through Instagram, comes across this and he replies, This dude is so full of shit. He knows exactly, in capital letters, exactly what's going on and isn't shocked at all. Because we told him several times this was coming. His management is incompetent and hopefully Francis starts taking a look at new people to help his career. So Markel Martin cracked his knuckles and dude, he typed this in response, LOL at Dana White, complete shock with your decision after we said September was good for us, complete shock that you guys made threats after less than three months after you all were aware, complete shock after you knew why Francis needed more time, that is correct, I know you're passionate. But you're trying to discredit my integrity when I've been nothing but respectful to you, Hunter, that being Hunter Campbell, and your entire staff speaks more about you than it does me. I'm not even mad. I'm actually impressed that I've gotten your (laughs) attention. In confident management, I think we've done a damn good job. I think you really don't like the fact that Francis is being represented by not only me, but an entire agency, one of which you can't control. Hence, Why you have people trying to rep him all the time to your benefit. Tell you what, let's disclose everything for people to see. Emails, calls, texts, everything. Deal? Because I'm ready to get blackballed by UFC. I'm not defined by it, you or anyone else for that matter. How's that sound? Sincerely, your old employee, Markel Martin. Wow, yikes, what a promo. Man. Um... I mean so, when Francis and fights the the winner here I mean this is this is all the ammunition you've got uh this also very interesting from a, a tweet from Ariel Hawani tonight who was reporting on this Regarding today's interim news, you'd be shocked how often they threaten this and or how often they threaten to strip. And while most of the criticism has been directed towards Dana White, he is the face after all, it's really been the M.O. of Hunter Campbell since he took over. For those that don't know, Campbell is the UFC's chief business officer. He took over shortly after the sale. He does most, if not all, the deals these days. Some love him. He's a lot more like Lorenzo in that he isn't emotional, but he also threatens to strip constantly. So this whole matchmaking uh, playing itself out publicly, it really does give you just kind of a look at, you know, when the UFC has a date and they want a a big fight. um, Clearly, what's interesting is that they would have the power to just do Derek Lewis and Cyril Gaughn. They could book it as a five-round fight. They just did this with Nate Diaz and Leon Edwards, but they clearly feel that an interim title, like some kind of championship, some kind of belt needs to be fought for for us to market this, uh, for for this pay-per-view, which does have another title fight with Amanda Nunez defending on that card. But it's, anyway, an interesting look at uh, just the power games that are going on, and Enganu is still your heavyweight champion, but this adds another wrinkle to this heavyweight mess. And I think it also kind of sort of even further derails this whole John Jones prospect, which that is the fight everyone wants to see at heavyweight with Nganu, But this in theory would set up Nganu to fight either Lewis or Cyril Ghan. Um And who knows how, how this all ends.
0: I mean, if you're the UFC, do you really lose all that much? You know? I think it's
1: it's more so like this is the control that the UFC has, that they can make these moves unilaterally. I mean, they are the matchmaker, they are the promoter, and this is, hey, we want you defending this title on this date. You can't? Okay. Like that, we'll just snap our fingers and we create an interim title. And, you know, it's, it's just funny to see. It's like such a watering down of the championships, but ultimately... Like that's that's the power that the UFC has. I I don't think an undisputed title adds one by to this particular card. I think you could do Lewis and Gone and just call it a number one contenders fight. But I and think the, the BMF UFC is, title
0: you make up your own. title. You
1: can literally make up a title. You're right. I I I think the UFC has a much firmer attachment that it's got to be for a championship than the fan base does. I think you could. This is Derek Lewis in his hometown of Houston, and you're fighting for a fragment of your heavyweight championship
0: i I will say you know as a very very casual fan at this point i do think having some like a title automatically tells you tells a casual viewer Mm -hmm. who's not up on storylines or who the personalities are even that this is going to be a match between the two best that are current right now even if it is an interim belt even intro yeah, like, you know, you have to think about the casual fan at the bar who, like, barely even knows, like, you know, what the situation is. They just see and look up and see there's a shiny thing that these two are fighting for. It adds, I would say, a little bit of luster.
1: Well, I, regardless of it, interim title, non title, um, this to me is one that I, I think it'll do very well in the Houston market. They just sold out Houston back in May for a pay per view, and they're going back here. I imagine they'll do very well. Um, As a live event, pay-per-view, I think that's – this is not going to be a big show for the company. It's Derek Lewis and Cyril gone and Amanda Nunez and Juliana Pena. And this will only be uh, a couple of weeks after 264 that everybody is buying with Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. I
0: just want to know, like, how much time do you think Dana spends on social media just, like, looking up this shit?
1: Way more than he would admit to. Hmm. I'm hmm. sure he is all over this, but there you go. That's your, uh, one of the, uh, major MMA stories coming out of this. All of your news can be found at postwrestling.com myself, Andrew Thompson. We have uh, plenty of stuff up there for everybody to go check out. And tonight we go to the Thunderdome. We are counting down before How the end of the Thunderdome era.
0: Uh, yeah, so what is it? Money in the Bank is the first one, so we still have... Uh-huh. Well, well the-
1: SmackDown. SmackDown is the first one that'll be in front of fans on Smackdown, the right. 16th. Mm-hmm. Yes, that yeah, be- so we still have at least two
0: weeks, two and a half weeks of of the Thunderdome.
1: Which, um, that SmackDown, July 16th, is going to be at the Toyota Center, the site of Derek Lewis versus Cyril Gone several weeks later. Wow.
0: Look at it that. all revolves it- around the Toyota
1: Center. I bet you there will be no interim championship though that Roman Reigns is not ready to defend it and they just have an interim title match. Probably not. Probably not spats over Instagram either. Probably not. All right. The show started with Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville announcing that Randy Orton is not here tonight due to circumstances beyond our control. And that's all they stated. And there was no Randy Orton on this show. So in... Instead, since he was part of that three-way with AJ and Drew McIntyre, they are going to hold a battle royal where the winner will get into the triple threat. And that led to Riddle coming backstage with a letter that he claimed was written by Randy Orton. The joke was, it was Riddle, who is trying to get into the battle royal. So try and keep this one straight. Riddle wants to enter the battle royal... To win the battle royal, to go to the triple threat, to win, to get a spot in a match he's already qualified for, so that he can then give that spot to Randy Orton. And Pierce he, you, and Deville said yes.
0: He he wanted to be Randy's alternate on this show. To try, he to wanted to Randy. be
1: Randy. He was going to physically be Randy tonight.
0: And he took the the meaning of alternate, I guess, quite literally on this show. Um, it's it's. You know, do you, what do you know about this Randy Orton thing?
1: I don't know what the story is um about Randy Orton, but I will say I thought this made for a much more, um it I mean, out. we got, it worked out, like with Riddle, we got a fantastic main event Um mm-hmm. with Riddle's involvement, uh, Riddle being no small part of that. So I can't, uh, like, again, I don't know what the story is with Orton, but I will say this This change, they, they made it work, but I I don't know what kind of notice they had of when they had to change this around or what, what was happening. But I mean, the way it was laid out, it almost made you think that, okay, Orton is getting into this match and this is a real creative way to get Orton into a match that he cannot physically be a part of tonight.
0: Yeah, yeah. We we don't really know. I imagine by the time maybe some of you will listen to this, maybe that'll be known. But, um, you know, Riddle basically, at least in story in the promo, says that Randy was playing video games up too late and missed his flight or something like that. Um, so maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But, I, you know, you have to wonder if Randy was a part of the show, what would they have filled that opening segment with without that opening battle royal. I certainly feel like for this purpose of storytelling with uh, Riddle being a part of this whole thing with um, Randy Orton not being in it, I thought they did a really great job of uh do you know using what they had to tell the story, even even to the point where I feel like it might they might have done it better. Than, I than, thought you know, I Riddle thought Orton like it
1: almost there. worked like this furthered the Orton Riddle relationship more. That like this this worked really well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um anyway uh, we will see whatever the deal is there. So that's kind of your story going into this and so here is your potential members of that three way. Besides Riddle, we had the Viking Raiders, Angel Garza, Jinder Mahal, Umberto Carrillo, Cedric Alexander, Mansoor, Drew Gulak, Mustafa Ali, Jeff Hardy, Shelton Benjamin Akira Tozawa, R-Truth, and the returning Damian Priest, who had not had a match since May 17th. And just the idea of who could possibly headline Raw tonight with Drew McIntyre and AJ Styles, and this is most of your Raw roster, you had two candidates, I think, here. Because I would no longer put Jeff Hardy in that category. It was like Priest and Riddle was pretty much what you had here.
0: Yeah, pretty much, you know, but that's always been the story, hasn't it? About this raw roster, it's pretty relatively thin on like you know real legitimate title contenders. Um, yeah, I mean, look who's in the Money in the Bank match? It's Ricochet that's in the Money in the Bank match. So, you know, I I think maybe most of us could tell, but you know, I definitely felt like Damian Priest had a real chance of making it through.
1: Yeah, uh, and that's uh, he would make it to the final two with Riddle. Um, this was. You know, a battle royal. We had a ton of eliminations. The return of the 24-7 title uh, saw Akira Tozawa get thrown out of the ring and then rolled up by Drew Gulak. And they ended up doing a bunch of title changes. Our truth won it, and then Tozawa did a somersault off the apron to win the title back. So Tozawa came with the title, left with the title, and the 24-7 belt is still alive. Is it, though... (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, I think the gimmick has, has been long dead for
0: over a year now. Um, I mean, it, it adds, I guess, a little bit of like flavor to this otherwise um, pretty generic battle royal. But, you you know, you don't really.
1: This thing is two years old, this much. gimmick.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so next time they have a celebrity, I suppose that's, you know, that they want to maybe. I'm sure the Burger King eventually will will win it.
1: Omos came down to eliminate the Viking Raiders. Then uh, we get Riddle and Priest, uh, who it comes down to. Riddle did the Minoru Suzuki armbar in the ropes and then eventually caught Priest with a flying knee that sent them to the floor in 14 minutes and 11 seconds. And Riddle insisted that they play Randy Orton's music as he did Randy's pose on the turnbuckle and got the pyro as well.
0: Yeah, I thought that was all really cute, and I thought Riddle and Priest had a fun little match, you know, when it was the the final two with the two of them. So I, I actually thought it was a good way of furthering this Riddle-Orton storyline, um, and, you know, battle royals are usually just very easy to di- digest, so, you know, it was fine.
1: Shayna Baszler is hanging out in the back with a deck of cards, and she draws the Queen of Spades. Wow. What are the odds
0: One in, what is it, 52?
1: Nia Jax asks if she's getting ready for a match or a card game. And Shayna explains that these cards keep my head clear. Well, then by all means, have a deck of cards for this run. (laughs) Reginald apologizes, says he didn't do anything on purpose last week. I can't remember what he did. Baszler blames Alexa for all of this. She's going to beat Alexa, she's going to beat Nikki Cross tonight and then send Alexa on a permanent timeout along with her doll. And as they walk away, Alexa is in the background eavesdropping. Mm -hmm. Jackson Riker, all night long, he was in the back, like, beating himself. Um, That sounded wrong. Uh, He was whipping an equipment box over and over And then he'd move on to himself.
0: He was whipping a box and then he was beating himself. Yeah.
1: Kevin Patrick interviewed AJ and Omos about the Viking Raiders. AJ actually brought up some very valid points in this promo. He noted that Randy Orton didn't show up. He should have lost his spot in the match. Can't necessarily disagree with that. Omos was only out there scouting the opposition and calls Kevin Patrick a hypocrite for blaming Omos for this when the Viking Raiders did the exact same thing last week and cost him the match with Ricochet. True. Hard to argue with AJ on any of this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Lucha House Party got about five seconds of television time congratulating Nikki Cross on being a superhero. But she corrected um, Sarah Schreiber here. She aspires to be a hero. And she found something that was always there, and now she has the courage to show it. Because everyone out there, deep down, knows they can do better, and she represents that mindset. And she wants to inspire the young children by winning money in the bank. And since she's almost a superhero, I guess her alter ego is now (laughs) Nikki Ash. Nikki, almost a superhero. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess superhero I in training was uh, no longer <laughs> PG. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think... Uh, this is a direct rip from remarkable. Rosie, like right down to, the, to an acronym to describe her.
0: See, the thing... <laughs> you're right. But the thing is, those gimmicks, the Hurricane, even like Mighty Molly, all of that was just like kind of played for laughs. Like, to me, all those gimmicks were, like, we were supposed to think that this person was really weird. To think that, oh, okay, they're going to dress up like this and think that they're a real superhero. We're not completely supposed to take them seriously. I get the sense from these promos that we've seen from Nikki. She's not supposed to be, like, that delusional hurricane character. I think she's actually supposed to be an inspiration to the people that are watching her. To the audience that's watching her. Um, Like, I sense no sarcasm, kind of, like, no, no camp to this. Um, other than, you know, the unintentional um, camp that exists. So, you know, like like like, like these things usually um, go with WWE Raw. We are extremely outraged the first week that we were exposed to it. A week later, I'm just like, I've accepted it. I've let it go. And I'm just like, okay, this is a part of wrestling now. This is a part of my life now. It's Nikki Cross, or you know, dressed in a superhero outfit. Let's see where they go. So, I will say it 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 does make her a bit more interesting than what she was before.
1: Nikki Ash. I don't
0: dislike the name. Is it, is it any worse than Nikki Cross? And I I think I think some character change in the form of a name is is helpful for to to sell the new gimmick. You don't like it?
1: Um. Nikki Ash. I don't What's know. What's wrong with that? I think if you gave me like five minutes, I could come up with a better acronym um, than Nikki Ash. How much
0: better? You think it would be that,
1: that much better than, than this? Well, what? what is she going to ascend to be uh, really a superhero and she will be Nikki Rash? Nah. Is that what we're, um, we're moving towards? No, yeah, I don't know. Depends on.
0: Um, Yeah, I don't think so.
1: So Nikki Cross slash Ash, they're still calling her Nikki Cross. So I don't know when we're supposed to move from one to the other. So, I mean, they haven't had time to update the graphics, but
0: on commentary, they were calling her Nikki Ash, weren't they?
1: Um, they called her both, I think. Okay.
0: Give it a week, I guess. You just came up with it.
1: So Alexa Bliss comes out and she tries to put Nia Jax into the trance. Reginald breaks the trance and Alexa... Kicks Nia, then uses the same foot to kick Reginald. Baszler cannot keep her attention on Nikki and gets caught with a -a tilt-a-whirl into La Mahistral Cradle. And Nikki wins in 9.43.
0: What did you think, John?
1: Uh, Of the match, nothing. It was all the outside interference and then you had a giant commercial break in the middle of this. Um, I I feel that this is going to be a character in Nikki cross that they are they will go hard with this character and then it will lose steam and she'll just be a a forgotten member of the women's roster that is my yep. that is my pessimistic outlook on this but for now they're going to go super hard with this new character that they're clearly invested in
0: tends to be the case you know unless it's like somebody that you know they're pushing towards the top spot I don't really see that being this person unless it completely just you know catches fire with the audience, which I don't know. I don't really sense right now, but I always say I'll say, you know, whatever the character is, it's cool to see her give give Nikki finally a a legitimate win here, even though there was some level of just like there wasn't really a distraction here, you know, to cause Shayna to lose. It was more like Alexa being the equalizer to make this a fair fight and in a fair fight. Nikki Cross was actually able to beat Shayna Baszler clean using her moves in La Mahe's It wasn't just her kind of like squeaking by with the victory through beat the clock. Um, so, you know, whatever you think of the gimmick, I feel like as long as they, they're able to give her some legitimate wins and push her as a credible threat, as, as a competitor, it's, it's, it's going to be a positive overall for Cross. Cross
1: also has like a very strong likable personality and i mean you can just look at the the you know the fact of like what killian dane had stated that it seems like this was her idea she's all in on this and i think that really comes across this is not somebody that is just trying to make this work like i think Shayna baszler i think she is really trying to make this stuff work that is so counter to what she had done prior and is just trying to i think she's trying very hard but i don't think it's it's the same thing <laughs>
0: WWE is just—it's a weird thing we're watching here. Like, it's like imagine a a a a, a, a fict fic, like a show, a scripted drama, <laughs> where you hire people based on their qualifications for doing something completely different from what the show actually is supposed to be. You know, it's like, man, it's like hiring like you know the best co- comedian, the best stand-up comedian, to act in like a Broadway musical. You know, it's it's the strangest thing, but. This is, this is the world we, we, we live in right now.
1: Kofi Kingston came out for the face-to-face segment. He was wearing a New Day shirt, and he talked about Xavier Woods screaming in pain last week from the Hell in a Cell and how he couldn't help Woods and that Woods has always had his back, and Woods doesn't get enough respect, and he should after the fight he brought to Bobby Lashley. He said that Lashley won fair and square, but what they did after the match was unconscionable. And Lashley is going to pay at Money in the Bank. MVP comes out with the women, noting that Bobby Lashley is on vacation. So we had no Randy Orton tonight, and we had no Bobby Lashley. And and no Sheamus as well, uh, as some of the notable uh, absences on Monday's show. They had a very good back and forth here. He says, MVP says he enjoyed every second of what he, they did to Woods. And what Lashley does to Kingston is going to make what Lesnar did look like child's play. Kingston rebuttals and says that Lashley is getting soft. He's more beatable than ever. And they yell about who deserves it more. Kingston says, When I was champion, I traveled to Ghana. I showed kids that anything is possible. And then I flew back to TV to defend my title. Your champion is on vacation. He's distracted. And when you take your eyes off the prize... You lose that prize. MVP (laughs) says the reason you went with the belt to Ghana was to feed your ego. (laughs) And Kingston says Xavier Woods will be back next week. MVP, you've been milking your knee injury. And MVP says I would whoop your ass, but I'm not cleared. And Kingston goes to the floor, trouble in paradise, and says now you're hurt. I thought these two had a great segment together.
0: This was fantastic. Um, I think at one of the best segments on Raw, if we're talking strictly talking between two people, one of the best promo segments on Raw in a very long time, maybe even one of the best in the WWE this year, you know, where most of that I feel like has taken place on SmackDown. Raw finally had one here in MVP and Kofi Kingston. It was Kofi to me at the character's very best, his most fired up, his most heroic Uh, It felt like a really natural back and forth. You know, if there was any scripting here, it felt minimal or at at the very least, you know, very well executed. So I I especially love that Kofi and and MVP, but Kofi to me like had excellent substance and logic behind the trash talk. You know, he was at first using the time to put over Woods being overlooked, which was just a great way of, I think, cementing that match last week uh, because I had forgotten about it for the most part until he mentioned it. Um, but then like, you know, talking about like the layers of this unbeatable Lashley getting stripped, citing examples about why he feels that way, talks about, you know, how great he was as a, as a champion. This was his pitch to the audience to like, you know, to to, to remind us why we wa- why we should be cheering for him, why we want to see him as, as WWE champion. And then finally calling bullshit on MVP's knee injury, which like I had almost completely forgotten about by this point. All right. You're right. Like the guy should be healed by now and then laid the guy out at the end with physicality. So, he came out of this looking so cool, so heroic and just a great baby face and of course required a great villain like MVP to drag that out of him.
1: Yeah, this was like a very a very good talking segment compared when you're looking at um you know WWE segments like you had the two interrupting it felt personal, like it felt like a conflict that these two were escalating and pulling out of one another and you had deeper interest I think in the match after this so Kofi was great MVP was very strong here and here was a week where they did not have Bobby Lashley and they did a great job hyping up this match oh now you want to see Lashley's reaction to this he's not going to be happy on vacation yeah maybe he's going to cut that vacation short Mm -hmm. time to come home Kevin Patrick was with Eva Marie and Dewdrop. Eva Marie called him Kerwin and Eva Marie says the dewdrop made a rookie mistake last week. she was overwhelmed, but we all make mistakes, and she has requested a rematch, so Dewdrop can learn um the best part of this were all the faces that Dewdrop was making just subtly and just can't stand this woman, but what they really need is some kind of explanation why why are you with this woman?
0: Like, yeah I don't know like I don't in know. this
1: in the story, has she just picked up this woman? randomly like nxt uk does not exist in raw's world so what is the connection here like at least with mjf and wardlow they have established why wardlow is stuck with mjf and he's supporting his family like they have made that clear and that he's under a contract specific to mjf not aew and i think we you know it's been two weeks but they i think need to at least explain some kind of uh attachment here of who this woman is it
0: wouldn't hurt you know to give us some framework about how uh, wwe contracts work who's allowed to compete and who's not i think i would i would say maybe the storyline assumption is that somehow like dewdrop is not a, a contracted wrestler and so needs kind of Eva marie to get her through the the door maybe Eva marie is the one with the pass she's she's on the list and uh dewdrop is the plus one that you know needs <laughs> Eva marie i don't know and I wonder if, like, they're thinking this hard about it. Probably not. I, I Doubtful.
1: But I, I do like that you already have this woman hating Eva Marie fr- right out of the gate. Like, that's our introduction, pretty much, is she can't stand this woman. See, I do feel like there, there
0: might be um, a reason for that. And, and maybe that's because they don't want to just completely retell this type of story of, like, you know, the like dewdrop being the complete subordinate to Eva Marie who can't necessarily stand up for herself here. She is like, you could tell she is rebelling against Eva Marie and she's coming out the victor. They are making her look good at the end of all of these segments, embarrassing Eva Marie at, at at the end of all of them. Um, and I, I have to think that maybe that's, you know, done on purpose to maybe just kind of stray away from the expected outcome of these types of, um, you know, like, protege like mentor type of stories where it's usually Eva Marie continually embarrassing the protege. So maybe, maybe that's why.
1: So Oscar and Naomi versus Eva Marie and do Once again, Eva Marie will not tag in. So do makes her own comeback, hitting Oscar uh, with a senton shoulder tackles, Naomi, and then splashes Oscar to pin her in 217, and then Eva Marie announces herself as the winner. So, Dewdrop pins Asuka in two it's a big,
0: It's a really big win. And, like, if you're an Asuka and Naomi fan, you're probably not going to be happy about this. But the storyline focuses on Dewdrop and Eva Marie here. So, I mean, I, I will say I give them credit for, like, they essentially had Dewdrop win a handicap match here against Naomi and Asuka. And that is. To me, like, if you're trying to push somebody seriously off the bat, um, it's strong. Like, they had, you know, again, her looking like the smart one, the good one, the competent one coming out of this.
1: John Morrison wheeled the Miz backstage. And Miz says that Morrison is going to win the ladder match and successfully cash in under his tutelage because he knows when to strike. And Sarah Schreiber all of a sudden disappears and there is Ricochet Holding the microphone, and somehow Ricochet was able to steal Morrison's dripstick. He squirts Morrison, and then he pulls the dripstick on the Miz in his wheelchair, and Ricochet proceeds to squirt the Miz with the dripstick. And I had to recap this.
0: Yes, you did. Yeah. Um, I thought it was like a cute kid segment, you know, like it was like a Dennis the Menace segment with Ricochet as Dennis the Menace and, you know, with the Miz doing his best Mr. Wilson. I I thought he played a really good Mr. Wilson selling for this, like, embarrassing
1: water gun. Um, sure. Uh, the Dennis the Menace demo was very happy, uh, with, with, with the segment. Ricochet and John Morrison is what followed. And Jimmy Smith noted that Ricochet, he has quick hands, he has guile, and some deception now with this stealing of the dripstick. Just like Dennis. Just like Dennis, you're right. The Miz is on commentary. And so Miz, Miz ends up blocking John Morrison from Ricochet in his wheelchair. So Ricochet leaps off the wheelchair to deliver a Hurricane Rana to John Morrison on the floor. This was the best wheelchair-assisted spot I have seen in a wrestling match. I
0: agree. I thought it was actually really clever, and I, I really loved the way the Miz got into position, had this big freak out and said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm parking my, my wheelchair right here. And then actually parks it. Like, he puts the brake on. Can you imagine so, if he forgot to put the brake on? Oh, the spot would be a disaster. Yeah. You know, but he put the brake on so Ricochet could jump off of it. I thought all of that worked out really well, and you know, like it was
1: a very creative,
0: well done spot.
1: Uh, Ricochet hit a rolling DVD, hitting knees from the clinch. They're having a very good match. Morrison comes back. Starship Pain gets missed, and then Morrison ends up on the floor, and he is seated on the barricade. And Ricochet proceeds to execute a springboard crossbody from the ring to Morrison seated on the guardrail. And they both flip over onto the floor. This looked utterly spectacular. I hope that they did this, that they taped this with like a crash pad for these two to land on. Because that's a brutal landing if they had not. But they never showed the impact on the floor. So I'm hoping they did this the safe way. uh, Because there was no way. Like, the velocity at which Ricochet flipped over with him... to not land on a crash pad would have been insane. And this was a completely believable double count-out spot at 10.33. Uh, this spot looked phenomenal. It
0: looked great. The way, that, you know, they shot it too. Like, I mean, you know, you, you think of ECW, um, but songs crowd like WWE doesn't tend to ever fly into the the audience with these sort of dives. So while you have the Thunderdome, um, I, you know, like I, I, I love that they, they did it, you know. I thought the match was really good. Like there was a level of creativity in the match that I was really not expecting to see in, in in a random raw match anymore. Even if it is people known for their creativity, like like these two, but like, um, it was like, it was a really unique, very athletic match with even like the silly, weird wheelchair stuff. I kind of got into. Um, I almost kind of wish that there was like a chance here for ricochet to actually get the victory afterwards. Cause I thought ricochet looked really cool coming out of this, that if he just cemented the victory at the end, you could have almost cemented him to elevate him. But I also understand that they're likely to rebook this one over and over again. <laughs> um, so, you know, at least the match is good. So maybe I'm not that angry.
1: I'm pretty high on what these two probably have planned for the latter match. Like, mm. I think the expectation level is very high With these two specific.
0: Mm, totally.
1: Yeah. Charlotte Flair is with Tamina and Natalia. Uh, They are heels tonight. They have respect for this business in common and upholding a family legacy. Uh, They made fun of Dana Brooke and Natalia mentioned that she has already beaten Mandy Rose at Hell in a Cell. But we continue with all of this.
0: The the heel babyface stuff is completely just all over the map with all six of these women. Okay? Just don't think about
1: it. I've stopped.
0: Yeah, like I mean Charlotte I guess has been a pretty consistent heel, but Rhea Ripley, I mean, she's a babyface during the match and then heel at, as soon as the match ends. Like the she, Italian and
1: Tamino were becoming more of the baby faces to Mandy and Dana. That was flipped mm-hmm. tonight. Flip uh um, tonight. Yeah. Who cares? I don't like, I, all I can wish for at this
0: point is that they pick a side and they commit these characters to one side. Um, and I, you know, I I even like the stable here of, like, Charlotte with Natty and Tamina. Like, the three of them could be sort of like a good, like, female version of, of Legacy, you know, with all of them having that in common. And I think that they would be able to help each other with, like, a great kind of, like, you know, um, a, a team of, like, you know, like the the heavies in like t- um Tamina and Natalia backing Charlotte and Charlotte adding that level of star power and promo ability to the other two. So I actually hope they keep it, but please just commit to a side for all of these characters.
1: Ripley, uh they went to a insert promo with Ripley, Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. And Dana says, "We may be easy on the eyes." But we hit hard. Ripley then starts talking about Charlotte Flair. But the match begins. They literally cut her promo off mid-sentence. Like, oh, we've got more important things. They're fighting. And this was just so abrupt how they cut away from her mid-sentence before she made even one point.
0: The, yeah, the baby faces if they are supposed to be baby faces this week did not come across well. Like unfortunately, it was Rio that got cut off and not the other two cuz uh, the other two just oh man, they're We terrible. may be easy
1: on the eyes, but we hit hard.
0: Oh, the line is terrible and the delivery is just awful. So, um I mean, it's too bad they didn't switch
1: places. Yes. They get the heat on Dana. Uh, Ripley gets tagged in with Flair. Uh, then we had Ripley hit Natalia with a kick to the head. Rose and Brooke came in. They did cartwheels into kicks. And then Dana hit her own natural selection. But this was just called a neckbreaker. She even hit it to flare. Rose does a roll up. Natalia goes out and tries for the sharpshooter. But Mandy Rose, after losing to the sharpshooter, she's been studying it way. And she blocks it. And she Natalia gets kicked to the corner, blind tag Charlotte. And Rose doesn't notice this, so Charlotte comes in with a running boot, pinning Mandy Rose in 535. And at the end of this, it was clear to me that after another loss, I'm just rooting for Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke to win these tag titles. Like, they've got to get a win at some point here. So this did a a tremendous uh, forward movement for for that. Uh, And then after Ripley, (laughs) Rhea Ripley, who this week we established was the baby face, correct? Yeah. She sneaks from behind and clips Charlotte's knee, could have torn her ACL out and laughs because this is reapproving that she can be just as dirty as Charlotte, who sold this near decapitation of her knee with like a smirk like, "Oh, you got me. You're fighting on my level now." Hate mm-hmm. this feud. It, it, it's a terrible story
0: for Rhea Ripley. Yes, we understand what they're doing. They're, yeah, exactly like you said, John. The idea is that you have a baby face in Rhea Ripley who wants to prove that she could play dirty just like Charlotte. But I feel like they have done really nothing to show like how much of a dirty player Charlotte is against Rhea in particular, specifically, to for at least enough to want to me to see the baby face cheat to justify like her cheating does not feel justified. Her dirty tactics do not feel justified from what we have seen of Charlotte. And to me, that's just not even heroic period. You know, if somebody cheats against you, if a bully bullies you, um, I think a hero should be, you know, overcoming it through by being themselves, by still, you know, maintaining their morality rather than stooping to their level. And, I mean, that might be just, you know, very much a white meat babyface type of action. But still, nonetheless, like, they have not earned anything of that sort with Rhea Ripley. So when she does stuff like this, like, you know, throws the cover on the table against uh, Charlotte to get herself DQ'd. There's no justification for that, no matter what. But even something like this, attacking after the bell, it just makes her look like a terrible, like a shitty wrestling character, I guess. Certainly not a babyface.
1: Yes, we will talk about all the babyface heel dynamics and uh, an audience loving a babyface despite whatever actions they might commit to get to a victory uh, when we discuss the Shawn Michaels-Chris Jericho feud. And we'll compare it to this. Then it is time to get ready for the strap Match. As we go into the preview, it is noted at one point... A very impressive tag team. Elias and Jackson Riker. I missed that episode. Riker is in the back with this strap, whipping himself repeatedly. Our truth walks in and asks Jackson Riker, Are you unhappy with yourself? Can you see me? And he thinks that Jackson Riker has fallen under Alexis' trance. But then he snaps out of it. He explains to our truth I'm preparing myself for battle. There's nowhere for Elias to retreat. What am I doing, you ask? I'm purging myself of any weakness and exploring where to afflict the most pain on my opponent. End scene. So,
0: I mean, as we see more of Riker, you know, in this solo character, we get more of a sense of, I think, the character they're trying to get him to portray. And um, this week, it I mean, he shared a scene with R-Truth, which tells me that, I mean, they are pushing him as almost this kind of comically intense man, former war veteran, who is kind of off, kind of, kind of in his own world, and in this segment, portrayed as somebody even weirder than R-Truth in this scenario. So, um... You know, it's a character. Um, so he he <laughs> nothing, at least I think, nothing
1: like some uh, some light-hearted uh, PTSD storylines.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately, it's it's just a that's that. <laughs> I also feel like they're kind of up against something because, like, you see Jackson Riker, What character do you give the guy? You know, like any character is probably better than the creative wrestler that you just see at this like like <laughs> base level thing,
1: right? So, um, that's what we have this week. How much do you pay attention to the commercials during Raw? Do you even I watch? No. Oh. Okay. So there was one ad, okay? It is for the LG Wash Tower, okay? Okay. And they have what, gotten... What is, the, what is that, a washing machine? Yes, yes. It's the super okay. washing machine. And they have made a remix of Got Your Money. Mm-hmm. But instead of the lyrics of Baby I Got Your Money from Calais. They have taken the classic featuring Old Dirty Bastard. It's his and, song actually. Yeah. And it is now done with the lyrics, "Baby, I got your laundry." Okay. <laughs> this is the goofiest ad that I saw all night long that they took a an ODB song uh, and I, turned it I, into it dude, it I it was so bad you. that it was like a uh, uh, like an earbug that it was stuck in my head.
0: Well, I haven't seen the ad, but I will challenge you, because the goofiest ad I saw tonight came courtesy of WWE Raw.
1: Um, I don't even know which one you're referring to, but do point it out. We will talk about it. Okay. There was an inset promo from Elias. He said that Riker traded in the truth for a lie. I thought this was maybe a deeper line about the last segment with our truth but no. (laughs) I thought thought it was a... Reference to his tweeting habits. <laughs> yeah, that'll beliefs. be uh, that. That'll be the next layer we we peel in the uh, Jackson Riker <laughs> character when he uh has a uh, he explains to us why he's not allowed to use a phone anymore. <laughs> Elias says he will literally and symbolically sever the ties with the Riker, and I will compose a master symphony. I laugh because he said this like with the same aggression that you would like i'm going to murder a man but he had to say it in his like his goofy (laughs) verbiage of i'm this singer that's got to make all my words like play on themselves i will compose a master symphony (laughs) so we got the world's shortest strap match of all time (laughs) jackson Riker walks out to his awful theme and Corey graves goes no one is more excited for this battle than this man and i wrote down probably accurate i probably no one is more excited for this pending strap match that we've had 7 days to anticipate than this guy so elias jumps him and starts whipping riker riker yanks him into the post and then riker dude he whips the shit out of elias he's whipping his chest He's whipping him in the ring. And then Riker is on the turnbuckle and gets pulled off into the flying knee, which it appears they have retired the symphony. I don't
0: get it. He even worked it in his promo. You know, it was like the most exciting thing about his character in 2021. The fact that he's got a knee called the symphony. This was just,
1: oh, it's knee to the chest. And he gets a two count. Riker comes back with some Irish whips and then a sidewalk slam and he pins Elias in three 30. Uh, so I cannot say this match overstayed it's welcome. And I will say like, dude, these two whipped the shit out of each other for the time this lasted. I really don't have much negative to say about it. It was a three and a half minute match. They, they played to listen, these two, this is much better than if you just put them in a three and a half minute wrestling match.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think you got the right.
1: best you could out of this.
0: Yeah, I mean, they weren't given much time. Um, certainly, I was not stunned to, it was this short. <laughs> certainly not enough to tell any sort of dramatic story that I think will make any of us really remember the match. Um, nothing that I would say even really evolves Riker's character. No chance to even see him really come back from anything. Um You know, but you know what what they had going for them was that they were able to whip each other really hard in the time that they were given. So, um, maybe you know, maybe a nice Instagram post to come out of this. I have to say though, a sidewalk slam (laughs) as a finisher in 2021, like seriously, man. Like we're already making jokes that you are the most creative wrestler of creative wrestler wrestlers that in existence, and somehow of all the wrestling moves that exist. You choose a sidewalk slam as your finisher? Please, man. Come on. You better have a good name for it. You know?
1: The sidewalk slam. Number one. (laughs) God, it was like... This is the worst move. Jacked up Stifler. Riddle and Damian Priest were in the back. Priest comes over to congratulate Riddle. On winning the battle royal. Riddle responds, I'm not Riddle. I'm Randy Orton. So poor Damien Priest has to play along. And he talks about, oh, I was going to get some Burger King. Okay, hold on a
0: second. This was the ad, okay? (laughs) Damien, this was the story that they, this was the script they gave Damien Priest when he walked into the TV. It was awful. So, Damien Priest, we need you to go up to talk to Matt Riddle, who thinks he's Randy Orton. And we need you to say, I uh, I heard Burger King has the new Chaking sandwich out. I was going to ask Matt to go get some after the show. <laughs> the new King sandwich. And the joke's on all of us because here I am repeating it. So, now I know what a Chaking sandwich is. So what the, this terrible advertising works? But it like it felt it felt like a scene from the Truman show, how blatant they are with some of this product placement. You know, no creativity at all. Like God.
1: <laughs> so Riddle is so just enraptured by this description of what, the Cha Ching sandwich? The cha-king. I chick- guess it's King chick- sandwich. chicken. sandwich? Sure. So he puts his hand out, and we're supposed to all notice that this is the invisible key that he's allowed to speak, even though he's spoken. This is like two different jokes. Like, he's playing Randy Orton, but now he's also playing the character that's imaginary shut-up with the key. So mm-hmm. he breaks his own code by speaking, and Damien Priest informs him, Riddle, I knew it was you, man. I thought what you did for Randy is cool. And just remember Randy is the lucky one to have you as a friend. Remember that. And Riddle responds (laughs) Aw Dude, this was the stupidest segment. This is the stupidest segment of the night. It's pretty
0: It's pretty stupid, yeah.
1: Kevin Patrick is with Drew McIntyre. Kevin Patrick. Drew, can you beat A.J. Styles and Riddle tonight? Drew, you know what? No. Matches off. Drew goes in to another one of Way's favorites. It's story time with Uncle Drew. He starts talking about the, the Battle of Edinburgh with the Scots, the English and the Irish. The Scottish outnu- were outnumbered two to one by the English. Then he started fighting the Irish, which turned into him fighting Seamus. And then Drew McIntyre won, thus saving Christmas. Kevin Patrick is at the edge of his seat believing all of this. And, I'm like, really? Drew says, no, this is all ridiculous. Just like your stupid fucking question. I'm going to go out there, win this goddamn match, and go to Money in the Bank because I've lost too many matches. I just blew my chance to ever beat Lashley for the WWE title. And you're asking me if I can beat these two fucks? What do you think, Kevin Patrick? You want to be out of here too? Asshole.
0: So the idea is that this is Drew week after week basically trolling poor Kevin here with these kind of like long drawn out ramblings
1: about... Scottish history. He said, you give me these stupid questions, these are the stupid answers you're going to get. So this guy is actually outing the writing of some of these segments. Like, we know these are stupid questions.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really brilliant. It's um very kind of like, you know, next level type of thinking here. Reverse psychology type of stuff from Drew. I don't know who thinks that this would be a good character for one of your lead guys, you know, for your top baby face on the show. I just think it's incredibly questionable and completely ineffective compared to say him simply cutting a great promo about why he wants to win tonight. I just don't understand.
1: Well, thankfully, uh, drew McIntyre had about 28 minutes of screen time on tonight's show. And everyone will focus on the 26 minutes and 40 seconds and not the, Minute 20 of this promo beforehand. AJ, Drew, and Riddle. Dude, they came out. It was like 25 past the hour. It's like this. There's nothing left on the show. So they are going the duration here. And they went long. Uh, that said, I thought they killed it. This was an unbelievable main event. I thought I thought this was better than the match we got last week with Drew and Riddle. Agreed. Drew's, Drew and Riddle are just. Carrying things on Raw. And AJ was great in this match too. Um, we had AJ, uh, they're on the floor, and they tease Drew putting him through the desk, but AJ is able to avoid it. And we see some vertical suplexes, and then AJ and Riddle lift and toss Drew through the desk to set up our first commercial break. AJ just annihilates Drew with these kicks as he's still selling the desk break. He is in the ring with Riddle. He applies an ankle lock, then hits a brain buster. And he's in control, going back between Riddle and Drew, who's still on the floor, until Riddle catches him with the draping DDT and starts pounding the mat. And as he leaps in the air for the RKO, he lands on the shoulders of AJ, who just drops him. And we get Corey Graves calling this the closest thing he has seen to a burning hammer in recent memory.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: very true. Which this came across like a a safer burning hammer is what this mm-hmm. looked like. It was a very good description by Corey Graves. Drew returns to the match and drives AJ into the barricade repeatedly, misses a claymore, and then Riddle just starts taking out both guys with huge kicks, ending with AJ getting out of the way and Riddle pk's the steel steps and he thinks his foot is broken so the trainers have to take him out he's stating i can't let randy down i mean randy really felt like a deadbeat on this show didn't he Mm -hmm. this guy's literally breaking his foot for you
0: i mean i think that's what you're supposed to think i guess i mean randy might not even be aware of any of this this is all riddle kind of doing it himself isn't it?
1: you don't think randy was watching probably not probably dvr's
0: yeah, if he has a day off, yeah, you know, probably like you know, read a report or check out a podcast.
1: Last segment sees uh AJ and Drew left alone. Drew hit a Michinoku driver, then AJ clips the knee, gets the calf crusher. When Riddle hobbles out with his foot all taped up, and he stops the calf crusher by applying the bro mission to AJ, goes for a phenomenal forearm into a flying knee, and then Riddle hits an RKO onto Styles. But Omos pulls AJ out of the ring. Riddle turns around and eats a Claymore. Drew McIntyre pins Riddle 26 minutes and 40 seconds. Awesome main event. Just awesome.
0: Really good three-way. And I think a really good, you know, match-long story of Riddle uh, doing the big babyface comeback all for his best friend, his, his idol, Randy Orton. I thought the Riddle characterization was really strong here. And there were some really, like, nicely done, big physical spots with Drew going through the table, Riddle with the foot injury, the burning hammer from AJ. This match went almost 30 minutes. It was three segments, and it was compelling the entire way through.
1: It also didn't have the usual, like you get the multi-segment matches in WWE and it really hurts the flow. I didn't Mm -hmm. feel that in, in this one as much like they were opportune times to take the breaks. You had your two breaks to take, but I didn't think it ever like deflated the match. Um, These three worked super hard. This is probably the best match we've seen on raw this year.
0: I'm going to have to rack my brain, but I'm not going to
1: challenge you about that. I mean, the recent stretch, like, Drew has had some really great matches on Raw that have kind of gone under the radar, but it's really, I mean, I I think you've gotten two of the better episodes of Raw last week and this week um, Mm -hmm. in in some time. Not to say, like, there are not uh, lots of issues with this show, but they, uh, I thought this was a much better, I I enjoyed this show more than last week's.
0: I enjoyed Raw tonight, and, um, you know, um, last week was good, but let's not forget that's only because of the men's division and the money in the bank qualifiers everything to do with the women's division last week i thought was just some of the worst we've seen all year this week i feel like the women's division stuff was i either i had just kind of internalized and accepted everything and just you know was was just like okay her name's do drop all right nikki cross is a superhero. Like it didn't bother me as much this week. And in fact, I thought the booking of both of those ladies tonight was actually really strong for them, making them look like very good active competitors. I'm hoping whatever's going on with the uh, Charlotte, Rhea Ripley, Mandy and Tamina and, and, you know, Natalia and, and Dana, I hope they've settled whatever role that they're supposed to be in and we can just move forward from this point. Um, but you know that match I thought was good, and the rest of the wrestling on on this show I thought was strong. Even like Ricochet Morrison, I thought was was a really good match. Um, you know, and and the main event was fantastic. But to me, the highlight was the Kofi MVP segment. That was
1: tremendous. oh, you got the, you got that in there. I mean, you you had a lot of strong segments. Like honestly, like Elias and Riker was not something I was looking forward to. But I mean, they presented it. At, like I had no issues with it, with that at all. It's like three and a half minutes. It's like you're not gonna have. Uh, too much to complain about. Yeah, very good segment with Kofi and uh, MVP with that main event. Battle Royal was fine for what it was. Mm-hmm. It established a story throughout the show. Um, so, I, I mean, this was a, a Raw that you at least see some direction attached to it. You got some great wrestling on this show when you throw in Ricochet and Morrison with that main event. So, uh, yeah, definitely on the higher side of, of Raw, which has been a struggle this year. This is where we go to the forum, and God knows, as we throw a rock into the ocean, it comes back. A 5.1! It passes by .1.
0: All right. I mean, I don't even know if that's good or bad at this point, but okay. Thank you.
1: Let's start the feedback with Dave, who says, For the second week in a row, I actually watched Raw all the way through. Something I haven't been able to say in years. And although there was plenty to shake your head at each week, I found myself really enjoying the in-ring work both weeks. I know you guys always rip on Riddle, but for some reason his character amuses me and he's awesome in the ring. John Morrison playing the Miz's dumb sidekick is usually pretty funny. I gave Raw a 7 out of 10... Not to get confrontational, but you guys said people were trolling with their rating for Dynamite this past weekend. I never vote for a show I didn't watch, but more often than not, I believe the AEW fans troll the WWE shows with bad ratings, especially for SmackDown, which, in my opinion, is consistently the best wrestling show on TV, but to each their own. Uh, Well, to each their own, then. I would not go that far on SmackDown. Well, we don't know. I mean, it's the internet, right? We're not taking everybody's, like, you
0: know like personal the social insurance number for for these votes so i yeah maybe we shouldn't put too much weight on these but these are just fun little things that we use for loose reference ultimately what matters more to me is hearing your feedback the written feedback and also the calls so the numbers are if if anyone
1: wants to write an essay on why uh, kenny omega and jungle boy that main event was inferior to smackdown on friday have at it i would love to see that argument
0: we get a Kate from Montreal who says, so it turns out that Raw was my best TV option tonight. I thought both Ricochet. See, okay. Let's see what she means by that because, of course, Kate is in Montreal. Um, So she says, I thought both Ricochet versus Morrison and the main event were quality matches, but I have to wonder what the hell they were. Okay, so did the Habs lose or something? Is yeah, that what she means? they lost tonight. They lost game. Ah, out. I see. But I have to wonder what the hell they were thinking to have Drew go over Riddle in the end. Riddle is the one I like the least of the three men in the match, and even I wanted to see him win. There was some exciting women's wrestling tonight, but it was on dark elevation. I recommend checking out Riho versus Kylan King, which might help wash away the stain of what's going on in the raw women's division. It's just embarrassing at this point, especially when you look at the talent the company has at its disposal. Habs in six.
1: Okay. I didn't think yeah. there was any way they were beating, like the way this was laid out, like, yes, you have the story of Riddle fighting for for randy but i mean you've you've had drew lose a lot and that's just not they're not going to put drew on this losing skid and you have to have him figured into the pay-per-view so i mean i i get that thinking and this is one where i know it's always you've grown when you hear let it play out but with the orton riddle storyline like riddle coming up short like you have this super admirable task that riddle set out to do but he ultimately failed. So you have Randy's reaction to that. Is he does he see this as, "Oh, look at how hard this guy worked for me while I was gone," or does he look at the end result that you failed to get me into the match? Like there's there's mm-hmm. interesting ways you can go, and that is your focus, Riddle and Randy, not so much making sure Randy gets into the ladder match. It's it's actually probably better for the story that Randy is not in the ladder match and Riddle is. You know,
0: ultimately, I, the the match they want to have involves Drew McIntyre being in the money in the, in the bank. So they had to get there. And the other story they want to tell is, you know, uh, Riddle constantly trying to impress big brother Randy and falling short and Randy's reaction to that. So, you know, even if Randy was there tonight, I imagine they would have gotten to this point somehow with, with in similar fashion with Riddle somehow disappointing Randy.
1: And they've gone so far as to explain Drew in the money in the bank ladder match and what that would mean for him if he Mm -hmm. wins that he can't cash in on lashley just the fact they've given it that thought and explained it on tv i mean that makes sense that drew should be one of the eight in the match
0: Mm. i think you're up next
1: alexander from portland matt riddle looked like a star tonight looking even better than when he was united states champion it's too bad wwe is pushing drew so heavily riddle winning in the main event would have been a really big moment ricochet i mean he got his big win last week i mean that was a pretty significant win i really didn't have an issue with the outcome tonight it
0: it's also a win that i don't think like makes him because he was winning for randy and ultimately what he would achieve would be getting randy orton into the match like it's not the type of big win where it's like oh he wins a championship you know let's celebrate like it would have been nice but i don't think it's it was a make or break night for matt riddle
1: you're you're also talking about like traditionally what a major win means for someone or even a major loss that has been so devalued that I I don't think it has the same impact unless you're talking something extreme. Like you win a Royal rumble, like you win a championship for the first time. It's at WrestleMania. Like compare that, like look at how people were living and dying through jungle boy on Friday. Mm-hmm. I don't think you had that same level of investment in a lot of these characters Where just a win over an established talent. It's a, it's a prolonged pattern of once you see someone treated as a main event performer, as opposed to that big win that suddenly elevates your stock. It's just, it's those wins and losses I think have been devalued. It is, I think a probably, probably a good sign for
0: them that, you know, you have um, at least a couple of our feedbackers like talking about really wanting to see Matt Riddle win. So you could tell maybe he's sort of on the cusp of that level.
1: Alexander finishes. I'm disappointed that Damian priest had his return in the battle Royal for being two of the most dominant champions in NXT. Shayna and Oscar lost in weak ways tonight. Nikki crosses almost a superhero gimmick seems incongruent with her winning matches via countout and roll-ups. Aren't superheroes supposed to look stronger than that? Four out of 10 show. I mean, she won with a uh, pinfall tonight. La Mahastral is, is not What's wrong with that. Are, That's a sort of roll up. It's, it's a, a legitimate a, move. Yeah. Um, Ends it with asking, if Becky Lynch is still not available, what's the hottest match you can think of for the Raw Women's Championship at SummerSlam? Um, uh, oh, Raw.
0: Okay, I was going to say Sasha, uh,
1: Bianca, but Raw? I'd be really surprised if Becky Lynch isn't back by SummerSlam. But, I mean, yeah. if you're completely throwing that out, I mean, it's I, that's pretty slim pickings on Raw. I wouldn't say there's anything on the Raw side that, that's all that, that enticing. The biggest thing you're building now is Nikki Cross. They they've like
0: exhausted any combination of Rhea, Charlotte, and Asuka, so I mean maybe it would have to be Alexa, I suppose, if we're talking star power. Um, it's not an attractive match by by any means, but um, I'm 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 hoping Becky shows up.
1: All right, well, thanks everyone for your feedback tonight to Raw. That was a more positively received edition of the show. Several weeks out from Money in the Bank. You guys are, you guys love everything. You guys are not critical enough. Dude, I got that criticism last week from someone who said, you're not hard enough on WWE. It was like, are you out of your mind? Like, anyway, it's, it's comical. That's fine. Uh, we will be back on Wednesday to be super negative (laughs) and hate everything when Dynamite returns to Wednesday nights at 8 so we will be live ten fifteen p.m eastern for all double double ice cap and espresso members of the post wrestling cafe mm-hmm. yeah always a good time we want to thank everybody who makes the
0: time to join us right after these shows in the zoom room uh double double ice cap and espresso patrons those of you who choose to support us at those tiers we thank you uh by giving you this this level of access immediately raw and uncut i like what you did there good night